Welcome to Farmer Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. Today's program is on the progress and future outlook of cancer immunotherapy. I am delighted to welcome guests, Mr. Charles Graber, who recently published The Breakthrough, Immunotherapy and the Race to Cure Cancer, along with Dr. James Gully, who is the head of the immunotherapy section and director of the Medical Oncology Service at the Center for Cancer Research at the National Cancer Institute. Together, Mr. Graber and Dr. Gully will delve into the significance of this moment in science, what the progress has been, and explore what is next on the horizon within immuno-oncology. Welcome to both of you. Charles, congratulations on the book. And as a journalist and writer who covers a, a wide scope of topics, why did you take on the topic of immuno-oncology? The topic uh, really found me. My, my job is essentially to cover whatever is interesting and important. Uh, and, uh, and the scientific discovery, some of what I, I refer to as, as the breakthrough in the, in the title, happened to sort of cross in front of me quite, quite by accident. And I was so taken aback by the fact that I had heard nothing about this, and yet it seemed to be one of the most important, if not the most important scientific moments in, in my lifetime, and redefining a disease that, that obviously touches all of us. And in investigating that to see if, if in fact, this was that important, I found that uh, I, I hadn't even begun to understand the ramifications. And that needed to be documented and I felt uh, explained to a, a larger larger public. And that was a four-year journey that happened to coincide with uh, at, at the publication of the book, the, uh, uh, the award of the Nobel Prize in Medicine just uh, about a month and a half ago for some of these developments. So it's a thrilling and important topic and one really worthy of, of spending time with. I had the pleasure of meeting you, Dr. Gully, uh, at one of the IO360 conferences. Are you finding that you know, so many doctors were trained to believe and correctly at the time that this was impossible, that the immune system couldn't recognize and fight cancer, couldn't kill cancer cells. What's the situation today, and are you, are you finding that it's, uh, and it's something you have to educate people about? Yes, yeah, so, so thank you uh, so much for the kind introduction, and also uh, it's really just a delight to be um, talking about this topic. It's something that I've been working on for a number of years now, and Yes, I can tell you that over the when I first started uh, doing um, my PhD in this area, before I got my MD, uh, back in the 1990s, early 1990s, there were there was some hope about some of this, but there was a lot of people that had seen um, treatments for cancer, and we've been able to. Um, look at these treatments in mice and been able to cure mice for a long time, but it just hadn't worked in patients. And there was a lot of skepticism about this approach. Yes, recently we've seen, since 2010 really, we've seen uh, multiple approvals for agents that can basically unlock the, the potential of the immune system. So i just like to kind of start by picking up on, on one of your points, which was cancer is, is complex. And I think that understanding the biology of cancer is complex, but as a clinician, I see the effects that it has on the patient. And I don't know of any other thing that is potentially so life-changing as those words 
you have cancer. And, you know, I think that we have been looking over time at ways of, of treating cancer. And when it's localized, we can go in with surgery or radiation therapy uh, and potentially cure it. But when it's spread, we've in the past have used chemotherapy agents or targeted therapy agents. But more recently, these immunotherapy agents have really made it um, easier to kill some of these cancer cells. And, uh, and, and some patients with cancer, we can get really deep and durable responses that occur very quickly after you start the therapy, often with very little in terms of side effects compared to what you would expect with chemotherapy, for instance. But it's really the, the, the length of the response, the ability to really shrink that tumor down and potentially, in some cases, to cure that patient from the tumor that has really led to, um, as you mentioned, uh, the Nobel Prize uh, last year going, you know, just a few months ago, um, going to two uh, people who helped uncover the potential of these agents. But one more thing I'd like to say is that these agents aren't uh, these amazing um, miracle therapies in and of themselves. They are really unleashing the amazing immune system that each of us have within us and that's what's doing the job. So these are merely tools for that. That's a really important point to make, and I think something great to underline, especially for people uh, that aren't really familiar with uh, this whole field, who, uh, especially patients who didn't intend on knowing anything about cancer and now, sure. now have to. This is, this is a, a very different approach to cancer from you know, the traditional sort of you know, cut, poison, and burn, if you will, that, that targets cancer, isn't it? It's really entirely based on letting the immune system doing the job, finding ways to enhance its ability to do that, and, which begs the question, why doesn't it do it already? Why doesn't the immune system treat cancer the way, you know, we know we've got sniffles when we've got a cold. We know there's some sort of immune battle going on, but usually we need a test to know whether we've got cancer or not. Can you, can you briefly explain why that is and why it's so confounding and how we've discovered the difference? Sure, absolutely. So the immune system is incredibly amazing. So you have immune cells called T cells and B cells, and these cells can be trained to recognize specific targets. It turns out that T cells can recognize up to 10 to the 19th different targets. Now, that's a number that's far bigger than I can certainly contemplate. Um, <laughs> sure. I think I, I looked this up. I had Siri help me, and uh, <laughs> I think it was, uh, if I remember correctly, I, I asked how many years would 10 to the 19th seconds be, and I believe it was 30 billion years. So I can't even fathom 30 billion. So wow. it's a huge number of different potential targets that these T cells can recognize. B cells can even recognize more, but it's the T cells that we've been able to utilize in the fight against cancer. Now, what is going on when we get cancer? How come the immune system doesn't recognize it, and, and how come we're left with cancer cells? 
Well, it turns out that uh, just as human organisms, we sometimes make mistakes. The cells sometimes make mistakes in, in their uh, copying of the genetic code, and usually those mistakes are fixed. If they aren't fixed, the cells can become able to uh, sidestep the normal uh, cellular process, and they can start to turn into cancer cells. Probably the, the large proportion of those such cells are identified and killed early on by the immune system, and we don't have cancer arising most of the time um, because of that. And so probably we have cancer cells or cells that potentially could lead to cancer, I should say, that happen every day in us, and our immune system is going and wiping them out. It's just that every once in a while, just like those cells make mistakes when they're trying to replicate themselves, sometimes the immune system is incapable of recognizing a cancer mass rising, and, it, uh, and then what happens is over time the cancer becomes clinically apparent. It, it grows to a point where it starts causing symptoms or uh, interfering with normal functions, and we, we can then pick that up. Now, the, the, the fascinating thing here, just to, you know, we, we have obviously a limited amount of time for sure. one of the most fascinating and, and, uh, <laughs> and enormous topics uh, uh, currently. Just it, to try and paraphrase uh, generations of, of scientific work with just a couple uh, metaphorical sentences, the, the, some of the, the breakthroughs awarded the, uh, the, the Nobel Prize had to do with uh, the discovery, the realization, the understanding of, of, of the fact that, that cancer had been we, – we, we'd been fighting cancer uh, by the wrong rules, that we didn't understand that, that cancer took advantage of, of some of the built-in checks and balances and breaks on T cells to keep them from running rampant in the body. Um, was able to use, in some cases, you might, I, I met, used the metaphor in the book of sort of secret handshakes to say, hey, I'm yeah. – I'm a body cell, I'm a normal body cell, don't, don't attack me. With this discovery, which is, it seems like it's really just the beginning and opens up, um, it's not just the drugs that result from that, uh, those specific discoveries, but, but in fact the realization there's a whole field to be explored here and a whole new approach that, that actually has very different outcomes for patients and is changing numbers every day. This raises the, uh, the possibility of treatments that didn't work in the past uh, confoundingly, or didn't work consistently, possibly working, and I would I would assume that includes vaccines uh, for cancer. I know that's something you're yeah. you're involved with. Is that is that true? Do we have hope for a cancer vaccine, and what what might that look like? Yeah. So, uh, great question. And let me tell you, um, I think that what we've seen in the last eight to ten years that has really accelerated over the last four or five years is these remarkable responses. So now we have proof of principle that our immune systems, if properly engaged, can eliminate large tumor masses. And the real question here is, okay, well, why doesn't it work for all cancers? How come we can take patients with bladder cancer or lung cancer or melanoma and we can get good responses, but patients with 
the general run-of-the-mill colon cancer or prostate cancer or the majority of breast cancer, how come they don't respond like this? How come we don't, and even in patients with lung cancer, we may see 20% of the patients respond, but the other 80% of the patients don't have a response. So what's going on there? What, how can we take this amazing proof of principle that we're seeing in some patients and translating it so that everybody can benefit from this modality? And it really is kind of a new focus on immunotherapy and this new understanding on how to use it is really kind of like a, a penicillin moment where penicillin for treatment of infectious disease not only could help that one patient, but it, it opened up a whole new area of research in finding agents that could kill bacteria and subsequently viruses that could um, really impact um, our care of, of patients. And so I think that the idea here with um, getting the immune system engaged, I think there's several key factors, and, and we outline this, uh, I, I outlined this with a colleague of mine, Dr. Jeffrey Schlom, in a uh, viewpoint article that came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association, where we say that really vaccines are an integral component of cancer immunotherapy, because we we really believe that what's going on is, first of all, you have to have an induction of an immune response. Now, in some patients uh, that have bladder cancer or lung cancer where there's lots of mutations, that immune system already recognizes the tumor and it's created an, an anti-tumor immune response. But those, those fighter cells, those T cells have gotten to the tumor, but then they're shut down by this handshake, as you put it, where the tumor cells have taken this, this secret handshake and they've said, hey, we're normal cells, don't kill us. And all we have to do then is block that handshake from happening, allow those T cells to work. What's happening though in these other cancers is many times there's no immune recognition of the tumor. And so that's potentially where vaccines come in. And uh, we make the case for that in our JAMA article where we have to induce an immune response against these uh, cells first. We have to get adequate numbers, and perhaps you can do that by potentiating it with, with cytokines. And then you have to allow those immune cells to work within the tumor microenvironment by both blocking these, um, these secret handshakes, as well as changing the way that the tumor looks to the immune system to make it easier for the immune system to either recognize or kill that tumor. And there's many uh, different agents, some of them standard of care agents that can be used to do that. And, and there's combination studies ongoing that address each of these uh, points. Right. With so many different uh, potential therapies uh, on the horizon, uh, so much work being done, you know, it just seems like this is the direction everyone's looking now. And it's, uh, it's just a, a door is opened in an unex, unexpected field of inquiry. Uh, yeah. Not unexpected for you. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and, the, and, the, and the, the few cancer immunotherapists that were sort of left after all these difficult years of, of very frustrating uh, results. 
but it, this, there's a general interest now. It seems that uh, it's it's a, a consilience moment where people from all sorts of different fields and specialities are able to come in and and take a, their perspective on on how to approach this new problem. Now that we know the immune system can uh, can and does recognize cancer and can be helped to do that and can kill it. Um, yes. Having said that, what would you say to, to patients that are trying to navigate the, the, the landscape now of, of choices about what's here and, and what's next? Very important question. So I, I would first say that having that diagnosis of cancer is a watershed moment. It is a something that can leave you wondering what to do and, and just stunned uh, at the diagnosis. I would say you have to have good, smart people around you that can help support you in your just getting through understanding what this means for you. If the cancer is localized, often there are local treatments that can be done that can lead to really good outcomes for patients. If the cancer has spread, there are certain cancers that can be cured and there are other cancers where our goal is to really maximize the amount of time and minimize the side effects from the treatment. However, I would say that most people end up getting treatment with their local oncologist um, because that's where their social support system is. That's where they have um, somebody that they know has referred them to this person. And in part, that is why we see the numbers of patients going on clinical trials be relatively low uh, on the order of about historically about less than 5% of adult patients with cancer go on to clinical trials. What I think we have learned is that the only way we can make progress is by studying the effects of these new therapies. And I would uh, encourage people to look at what clinical trials are available. Are there any that your local oncologist is involved with and is doing because that's often a way to, to maximize your social support network um, and still be able to utilize these clinical trials. The vast majority of clinical trials don't give any placebo, so you don't have to worry that you're not getting an effective treatment. Uh, these trials often use standard of care plus experimental therapy versus standard of care alone. Uh, some of them are just experimental therapy alone and everybody gets the same experimental therapy, but there's always good rationale for it. I would also say that we at the National Cancer Institute here in Bethesda, Maryland, we will treat patients with cancer. We have um, some 250 clinical trials going on at any one time and we will pay for patients who, on clinical trials uh, here who have enrolled on studies here, we'll pay for them to travel back and forth from anywhere in the United States and um, get their treatment here for free and we don't bill insurance. And you can look online on 
cancer.gov or clinicaltrials.gov to find out uh, clinical trials that may be applicable for you. That's hugely important because obviously um, there are realistic barriers. I, I, in, in my book, I follow a number of patients that had recent diagnoses, and in some cases they, they got lucky. They told them about a clinical trial they wouldn't have known about just because they happened to talk to the right person at the right time, and it, it made all the, the difference in their treatment. Some people were almost unable to, uh, to make those decisions because they were concerned about things like parking. Uh, they had to drive to a distance to a city and park the car and, and these expenses, these are, you know, these are real concerns for, for folks. So being able to take care of that and take that out of the equations is, is incredibly important. You know, what are you particularly excited about right now? Uh, Great. Thanks so much for asking. Well, a couple things I'd like to say. So number one, I'm really excited about the potential for combination immunotherapy uh, trials where we're working on ways of getting the immune system to recognize the tumor as well as ways of allowing those generated immune cells to work at the level of the tumor. And those combination approaches, I believe, are going to make a difference in our patients, especially the ones that aren't currently responding to these immune checkpoint inhibitors alone. So we're going to need to generate immune cells and then block the secret handshake. The other thing I'd like to say is there's been a lot more interest uh, in among a wide range of different uh, groups um, and, and stakeholders in the field about immunotherapy, um, lots of new meetings. And one of the uh, meetings I'd just like to highlight briefly is the meeting that we met at a couple years ago, the IO Immuno-Oncology 360 meeting, which is really a fantastic meeting that takes into account the entire breadth of the field. It really has a 360-degree view. You have pharma, biotech, regulatory agencies, Wall Street, academics, venture capital, patients, survivors, and their families. So you really have uh, everybody there sharing their viewpoints on cancer. And I think it is that kind of a combination approach also that can really give us good insights into how to deal with cancer with immuno-oncology treatment approaches. Could you speak for a moment about that, that education barrier, that barrier for, for patients and that barrier for, for physicians, for oncologists? And have you found that to be a, a barrier? And, and how would you recommend people get around it? Just folks are so often... Uh, yeah. You know, you don't want to question the guy in the in the white coat, and you don't really yeah. have the question. You know, part of the purpose of my book was to arm people to at least be able to ask better better questions. But but what's what's been your experience with that? Great question. So there are numerous barriers to care. Um, fortunately, patients are um, not easily intimidated. They uh, typically. Um, because they take this diagnosis so seriously, they will go out there and get the best treatment. So let's address some of the barriers to treatment. So one of them is um, money, and uh, often this works in interesting ways. So the local oncologists often get their money by treating more patients. And however, recently, and so there's a reason that they like to offer them 
their local treatment options and um, historically they have not been as engaged in clinical trials simply because of the infrastructure required for the clinical trials is often a little bit too much for the local treating oncologist. However, this has changed with um, these community cancer centers that have more infrastructure there and will work with our pharma partners and develop contracts where it is now uh, reasonable for them to be involved in the clinical trials. And so this actually has led to trials that are answering questions for us much sooner than they would have uh, historically. Um, however, there's other barriers besides money. There's the education um, barriers or really figuring out what's best for, there's have been a lot of companies that have recently come up that have said, you know, give us your medical records, your uh, tissue, and we can do genomics, and we can figure out what studies make sense for you. We have to see how these, you know, if these are going to be useful in the future. I think these are still companies that are figuring out the best way to do this and the best business models for this. But I think patients can arm themselves with asking good questions by um, looking at what's on the internet, but also by looking at those sites that are reputable, like um, cancer.gov um, or some of the other major uh, cancer centers where there are guidelines available. Also, I think great books like the breakthrough that you wrote, Charles, that I think this provides some very uh, not only good background um, and good understanding for the patients that are potentially interested in immunotherapy, but it is actually a wonderful read and something that can be um, easily uh, picked up but not easily put down. And I think I would recommend it to any patient that is interested in uh, immunotherapy for cancer. And I think the other uh, thing that one could look at in terms of uh, education is especially if there is time, I would recommend getting that second opinion from a, a center that sees a lot of those cancer patients. You don't want to go to uh, do a surgery with somebody that is, has only done five of those surgeries a year, for instance. Um, the same thing with cancer therapy. If you go to a center that specializes in pancreatic cancer, you're going to get a lot better treatment, probably a lot better outcome than if you go to a center that does um, one or two patients a year. Well, that, that's that's uh, fascinating, insightful, and, and incredibly uh, practical. So um, thank you so much again for uh, taking the time to, to put this together uh, and, to, and to, to break it down for us uh, and, for, uh, and for this absolutely fascinating conversation. I look forward to hearing more when uh, I see you at IO360 in a few weeks.
That sounds wonderful. Thank you both so much for this important and hopeful discussion. Both Dr. Gully and Mr. Graber will be at the upcoming Immuno-Oncology 360 event in New York City on February 6th through the 8th. For more information, Google Immuno-Oncology 360 or visit theconferenceforum.org. And for physicians, hospital systems, and medicine developers, we have a conference dedicated to integrating clinical care into clinical research called CRACO happening April 29th and 30th in Raleigh-Dorham, North Carolina. For information, please visit theconferenceforum.org. Again, theconferenceforum.org. Thanks for listening.